All right. right. Let's go. Oh, my God. Why? (laughs) Five, four, three, three, two, one. Janet Jackson. Janet Yes, indeed. You are listening. Yes, indeed. And we, I am Jamila. And I am Jesse, also known as Jester. So I'm sure you've guessed it's been a while since we've done an episode. A lot has happened in our lives. We're not even going to get into those details, but we're glad to be back. We're glad to be back with you. Thank you for all the support you've given us in the short amount of time we've done this show. (laughs) We really appreciate it. We do hope to continue to grow, to get better. If you have any ideas, suggestions, we are going to post all the information in the description. Please, please, please continue to give us that love and we will continue to give that love in return. Oh my goodness, that's a lot that's been going on in, what is it, the month we've not been here. So we're going to discuss a little of that. And the primary subject of this episode is going to be focused on the ridiculousness ridiculousness of the Wade Robson and James Safechuck issue. There is a documentary that is to be released. It was at Sundance and it's going to be on HBO and I think Channel 4, one of the British channels. I always have to remember that they're actually going to put it on HBO. I'm quite surprised by that. (laughs) It's weird, given that the Dangerous concert, which was October 1st, 1992, that was the highest rated concert on HBO for a long time. And I think the Velvet Rope Tour, that might have beat Michael's performance. I don't know. But the Velvet Rope show, I think it was the Velvet Rope show that they had on HBO was also high rated so the Jacksons when they do concerts on I mean, HBO people watch them <laughs> but if it wasn't a Velvet Rope if it was another show please let us know and I do think it was the Velvet Rope show that was on HBO and <laughs> but the October 1st 1992 show which was released on both HBO and the BBC with different angles it was, it's interesting to watch both angles if you have the ability to see both editions of that, watch it if you're interested in the way film works. But they had that concert, and now they're doing this. And we're going to get into that. But first, (laughs) and the thing about but is I don't like using it because it cancels out what you say in the first half of your sentence. So I do like saying however. Another, I always say however is a fancy version of a but. (laughs) it's really true it really is until we figure out what to replace that with though i do say however if there's another word you got (laughs) jesse notwithstanding or maybe uh no that's however is often what i used to so 
Okay. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about a few things, and I want to hear your views on the stuff. But the first thing I want to mention is this guy, Paul Hassan. A lot of people are not familiar with what happened in relation to the Coast Guard recently because there's been a focus on a lot of other things. This guy, Paul Hassan, he is connected to neo-Nazi groups or white supremacist groups, and he was going to, I mean, I don't even have to finish that sentence. He had kill lists. He was going to target folks like Ocasio-Cortez. I personally am not a fan of Ocasio-Cortez. I'm personally not a fan of any of these politicians out here, regardless of what party they align themselves with. But uh, he was going to target some cable hosts, I'm guessing CNN. And Oh, okay, here it is. MSNBC's Joe Scarborough to Nancy Pelosi to the Democratic Socialists of America. The thing is, Joe Scarborough is pretty, quote, conservative. So to target Joe Scarborough, you have to be on some other level. <laughs> and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's not even, I don't know, I don't consider her to be that left wing because she has not stood beside Venezuela in support. She's kind of backed off on that. She considers herself to be a democratic socialist, as does Bernie Sanders. Democratic socialism is more in line with mixed economies. So you have capitalism also included in the process of the economic structure. We at Music and We, I'm sure you have all heard in our conversations, we are anti-capitalists here. So <laughs> we're just open about that. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> clearly anti-capitalist. So someone who says that you can put a Band-Aid over capitalism or you can reform capitalism Capitalism is a structure in which people's labor is exploited, in which a few profit from the labor of others who are not being paid their worth. I mean, that's just a short example of the damaging effects of capitalism. But to say, oh, we can make it work. We at Music and We do not agree with that. <laughs> so I'm just saying for Jamila's perspective, I do not stand beside or behind politicians who even think you could reform capitalism. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she also you know, has praised other politicians who are warmongers. Uh, so I personally cannot stand beside or behind people like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can have several good ideas that go, okay. But dialectically, there's positives and negatives to things. And the positive to capitalism, yes, we have industrialization. We're using the tools, the technology in order to do this podcast. So with the outpouring of capitalism, yeah, we have these, but we can now use these tools to fuel things which benefit the people. We have to move on and evolve from these systems of oppression. Yes, we can look at, yes, okay, we have these tools, but what do we do with them? It's the same with money. People go, oh, money's the root of all evil. No, money is a tool. It's what you do with it. So it's the same with technology. Jesse, what do you got to say to that? <laughs> I'm just enjoying you go through. I mean, I, oh, I can go on and on about capitalism, but <laughs> or just the general flow of what you said. I think a lot of people don't do the work. So it's up to people like us who are saying we're willing to do the work to just keep talking about it and really look for solutions in the whole process. 
because it's a lot of reaction and a lot of people are not really considered to put themselves in a position to benefit from the nuance that's needed. So I think what happens is we just need to you know, look further and just seeing some of the stuff happening right now, it's like, oh, you know, people just want their needs met. People just want health care. They want to not have to pay debt. They don't want to have to just be drowning in the bills that are just given without regard while the people like Jeff Bezos and billionaires <laughs> of the world have, to, you know, they just live this life without having to be accountable to any of it. They don't pay taxes. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I'm all for getting in line and making a sound because it's just been going crazy. And distractions have been set to just avoid the reality of the situation. So, I mean, we don't have to go too far about the justy situation, but... Oh, I do want to mention that a little bit because I really want to hear your piece on that. I don't even know where to begin with that. I don't think anyone can say that that story from the, its initial reporting would I don't think anyone expected it to go in this direction like I sure as hell didn't I thought all of it was just when I first heard about it, I'm like wow that's so unfortunate but even then I never clicked the article I didn't really give it that much energy myself because I tend to not unless it's I mean I, I tend to look at stories like that like oh wow that sucks if that really happened and then eventually I did the research and it's like mm, the story is not adding up I didn't notice that and I yeah. think we should be more skeptical. I think the media plays on people's fears and the clickbait, the poly tricks, you know. What can I say to make this look like there's an implication of some kind, you know? So even from the beginning, the media did a poor job at reporting it because they played that whole identity politics thing, which got out of hand in some degree. But then there's also the fact that the Chicago Police Department you know. <laughs> well, yeah, before we even get into that, connection. So I want to read what this Paul Hassan or Hassan, which is interesting given he's a white supremacist and Hassan is usually associated with a Muslim name. <laughs> get into that irony. He had written a draft letter to a well-known neo-Nazi leader uh, following the attacks in Charlottesville. And then I want to end with this. He wrote in the document. It says, uh, liberalist slash globalist ideology is destroying traditional peoples, especially white. No way to counteract without violence. It should push for more crack down, bringing more people to our side. More blood will have to be spilled to get whitey off the couch. For some, no amount of blood will be enough. They will wow. die, as will the traitors who actively work toward our demise. Looking to Russia with hopeful eyes or any land that despises the West liberalism, excluding, of course, the Muslim scum, who rightfully despise the West liberal degeneracy. So, so the identity politics is so telling that people cannot get out of their myopic point of view. There is a common enemy, but people are so rooted on whiteness, or this or that or the other, they don't understand that they are being exploited by the same forces that Muslims are being exploited. Yes. And yes. Muslim is a practice. It's a religion. It's like people saying Jewish. It's like there are many people of the Jewish faith of different ethnicities. There are many people of the Muslim faith of different ethnicities. People act as if 
there's no Muslims in Somalia. It's like all all Muslims are Arab. That doesn't make any sense. Yes, there was a little bit of colonialism. Yes, imperialism. But to assume that all Muslims are white at this point or all Jewish people or, or Muslims are Arab and all Jewish people are white would be factually incorrect. We see what's happening in Israel where Africans who are Jews are being systemically oppressed. And we have to examine all this stuff that's going on. That is a whole other conversation. I just wanted to say that the myopic thinking from these white supremacists and a lot of folks who depend on identity politics needs to be examined on so many levels. There's a common enemy for us. We're saying here it's capitalism and everything under the umbrella of capitalism. White supremacy is under that umbrella of capitalism, which you have imperialism, white supremacy. So it dictates how, what countries you invade and then you steal their resources. And then you produce these set of laws and practices, which the people who have been oppressed take on thereby going into colonialism slash neo-colonialism. And so we have this with Jamaica, where they still have the white wigs on. That's an element of colonialism. Or India, or the Philippines, they're using Spanish names. That's an element of colonialism that happened. So even the fact that both of us are speaking quote-unquote English, that's an element of colonialism. Why are we not speaking our original languages? They were stolen from us. So we need to examine the, the root of all of this. The fact that this guy is so rooted in his whiteness, not understanding that this system <laughs> is oppressing everyone, <laughs> including the people who choose to oppress. It's an inhumane system. And people are choosing to connect with these little things, saying, oh, we have to bring whitey to... What? Like, whiteness is just... it's. You got to you got to get over that people. <laughs> it's just too, yeah. it's too much. And so yes, there is a little thing about yeah, you know, I can be who I am and, and but then when you start not understanding that MSNBC is owned by the same people who own Fox. They all have a vested interest in lying to you. And so if you're like we're just going to attack MSNBC and we're going to attack the Democratic Socialists or whatever it, it it doesn't make any sense especially uh, when you have national socialists when everybody thinks the nazis were socialists when they weren't they actually attacked socialists so people are so fueled by identity politics they don't understand and i'm going to keep saying this there's a common enemy that we need to address and that common enemy oppresses all of us I wanted to really talk about that because I don't, haven't heard people talking about the Coast Guard thing while they're talking about Jesse Smollett or Smollett. I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Same. I always get his name misconstrued. <laughs> I say Jesse. Jesse. And it's like, no, it's not Jesse. Cause I'm You're Jesse. Like, not Jesse. Not Jesse. <laughs> it's not Jesse. It's Jesse. It's Jesse. Um, and and another then Smollett, thing I, I don't really know that. Well, another thing I wanted to address is a lot of people aren't addressing this. And then I, I, I want to get your views on this R. Kelly and Jesse Smollett thing. And I want to end this portion where R. Kelly, because it's connected to our main subject. But what's happening in Haiti right now, a lot of people are addressing that. And so I, I just want to talk about these issues because, yeah, we do primarily a Prince and Michael Jackson podcast. But the people that we talk about in this podcast paid attention to what was going on in the world. 
and it's high time we begin to as well. <laughs> we have to understand internationally, this is connected to US policy in so many cases. So what's happening in Haiti, you know, there was a revolution, 1804. I, I, I'm guessing people know that, you know, they watched the documentary or read the books. And there's a great book called The Black Jacobins, C.L.R. James. And it talks about the revolution, the conditions that people face in order to get to this point of revolution. There are a lot of books that people can read. Haiti has been made to pay for that revolution to this day. And you had the Clinton Foundation go in, the, the Clinton administration, the Clinton Foundation, they all went in and continued the exploitation of Haitian people. And then you had what happened in the Dominican Republic, right next door, where Haitians were exploited there. And now Haitians are protesting the, the puppet government. People aren't talking about this. People are protesting the puppet government right now in Venezuela. So you had this concert, concert for, it was like a Live Aid kind of concert that Richard Branson of Virgin Records, Virgin Airlines. So he put in all this money to have this concert. And they fronted this money for this concert and it was in Colombia. And it was like, oh, see, oh, it was, oh, see, they had it in Venezuela. And, no, it was in Colombia. They had the forces there and the checkpoints and everything. And there was a lot of stuff that went on. But they're trying to still demonize Maduro. People still declare he is the rightful president. It's like there's no individual. If anybody came and did that in the U.S., can you imagine if some guy's like, I'm the president? Can you imagine what would happen? It so, would not happen. No. So you can't come in. It'd be like Juan Guaido. You can't come in and be like, okay, I'm the president. So when they were having the election, so people went down for years and have looked at the elections because you had Chavez, you had Maduro. They were like, yo, come down and see that the elections we're having are free and fair elections. The U.S. did not support these free and fair elections. Other forces is not. The U.N. was just like, <laughs> and, uh, People did go down and said, yeah, there were free and fair elections. The opposition, they were in protest of these elections. They didn't vote. So the people were like, oh, low voter turnout, blah, 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 blah. Same thing they say here. Oh, it was such low voter turnout. So then this Juan Guaido, he's like, I'm the president. I'm, I'm declaring myself the president. And so the U.S., Canada, uh, all, of, all of these countries are like, yeah, he's the rightful president. So how can outside forces declare a, a, a sovereign nation, quote unquote, <laughs> a, a, a president? If Cuba were to come and say, okay, Ocasio-Cortez is president, people wouldn't accept that because of what well, we didn't vote for her. So how can you declare Ocasio-Cortez president? Like you're Cuba, you, you don't get a say in how our government works. So that's what happened because of the interests of oil and John Bolton and all of these other people in the government have declared this is about oil. This is about getting access to oil. Just like what Saddam Hussein was like, yeah, I'm not dealing with the U.S. dollar. We're going to deal with the, U the euro. What happened? They invaded Iraq. So this is about resources, about access to resources. And you had the Venezuelan government, it's like the nationalization of oil. And then they were like, we're going to get off the petrodollar. There's inflation happening, hyperinflation. We're going to change the way our economy works. The U.S. was like, what? 
oh, we're not going to have that. So they've been trying to invade Venezuela, but they're like, oh, we support the coup that happened. But it's an illegal coup as usual. So we need to also pay attention to what is happening in Venezuela. It's very, very connected. The U.S. either installs or supports these coups. Same thing that happened in Honduras. And as a result, you had anti-imperialist organizers and activists die. They were murdered. And then you had what happened in Brazil, where you had Maria de Franco, who was an organizer. She was an LGBTQ organizer. She was a single mother. She... Uh, was fighting in the favelas. She fought for the people in the favelas. That's where she came from. The Brazilian government was in connection with the drug gangs. She was trying to fight the drug gangs, and the state murdered her. So this is what is happening. We have to pay attention. The other thing in connection with that, everyone's talking about, oh, these people are dictators, and you know, we're about freedom in the U.S. There was a child in Polk County, Florida. I don't know if you heard about this, Jesse. A child who was of African descent, Polk County, Florida, did not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I did. And I read that he through right. of challenge. Yet, yeah. They put him in handcuffs. And that's when they said you got belligerent. So if they put you in handcuffs, you're like, this is my right not to stand. What are you doing? So it was a, the school officer put him in handcuffs because the teacher was like, who is from Cuba? Interestingly enough, so she was an anti-Castro Cuban, I'm guessing, and uh, and this is Florida. She's like, no, you have to stand, you have to stand. <laughs> and uh, so they're basically going to put him instead of putting him in uh, jail because it is his quote constitutional right to not stand. They're going to put him in what is the equivalent of a re-education camp. So this is the U.S. People think the U.S. is so great. And attacking Cuba, attacking all of these sovereign nations, which presidents were democratically elected, and yet you have children who are using their, quote, right to not stand for the pledge, and they are demonized, they are arrested, they are to be put in, quote, re-education camps. And they call this freedom. And what's on on the news daily? Oh, dictator, Maduro is a dictator. We have to pay attention to the history. Are any of these people perfect? Absolutely not. But we have to look at the political strategies and the histories. That is what's really important. Stop paying attention to the personality of a person, whether or not you like them. It doesn't matter. What are they doing to reach the people in a way which is beneficial to the people? The fact that countries have, quote, free health care, that People are getting free education or whatever. People are asking for free college education. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, we can't, we can't have that. That's just going to make people lazy. Look at the history of countries. Which have <laughs> education. That it's, argument is always hilarious. You know, That's going to make people lazy. It's amazing to me and not in a good way. And all these people saying, oh, socialism, that's just, just the government gives you everything. The question I'm going to ask is, where are you getting that? Have you read on both sides of the argument? Or are you just looking at the internet? Are you looking at uh, pro-socialist arguments in a book and anti-socialist arguments in a book to get your point of view? Because I guarantee you, I have not read any material that's pro-socialist that says, oh, the government is going to provide anything. I just personally haven't read that. 
And that is what the anti-socialist side says. And even communism. Oh, oh, communism, the government's just getting it. The whole thing about communism is that it is stateless. It is the elimination of class lines. How can you say the state's going to give you everything under communism when it is the elimination of the state? Russia and China are capitalist. They are state capitalists. They are no way socialist or communist. So please read a history book. Please read communist and socialist theory as well as arguments against those and make your own decisions. Stop getting your arguments from MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, all the capitalist news stations. Make informed decisions. Read some books about history and the development and the evolution of how people came to these political choices, these political structures, and stop reading sound bites. So this is just ridiculous. So that is my rant on that. The Jesse Smollett thing, I actually had no idea who he was. I've never seen Empire. I don't watch TV. I don't know anything about these people. So when I heard the news about Jesse Smollett, I was like, oh, that's really terrible. I hope he gets some healing. And then I saw people out of Chicago were like, yo, that's during the polar vortex. Chicago is freezing. Why are you going to be out in the cold getting subway? Like they have Uber Eats or something. Why wouldn't you get that? And who would be out delivering Uber Eats to you anyway in minus 50 degree weather? Like what's the problem? So then people thought it was um, he was getting caught out there because he was looking on a sex site or something. And they're like, ah. Oh. But then they found out more stuff. And so I don't know the fact that you have to create this whole story to <laughs> generate publicity knowing that your phones, your internet, you're being watched by the CIA, you're being watched by the FBI as it is. The second you enter something into your phone, you are being tracked. So the fact that he did not cover his ground, that's one thing. So somebody suggests like, why don't you just get a burner phone? If you really wanted to do this, it's like, okay. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> The fact that he did not cover his tracks and he thought he was doing doing well. And uh, then they had footage of the two guys buying some stuff and he paid them $3,500 or something. It just, if you don't cover your tracks, you're going to get caught. And then they said it was because he wanted a salary increase. Yeah, he wanted a salary increase. It just it changed consistently. I mean, there's constantly. people who are, are living check to check and you're talking about you want a salary increase. You create this whole narrative because you wanted more money when people out here are just trying to pay bills? I, I don't know if I even believe that. I, 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 we're going to go into conspiracy theory territory because there might be a connection with Kamala Harris. So she's another Uh-oh. one who, you know, she's out in Cali and she was a head DA and a prosecutor and she jailed parents of truant children. People need to understand these people are corrupt. And she's cackling about it. She's like, <laughs> like, what is wrong with you, you sick individual? Yeah. So she has no <clears throat> It's all about lining the pockets of these prisons and maintaining the school-to-prison pipeline. She also supported prison labor. So she wanted to fill the prisons so there could be more labor. This is Kamala Harris. 
And she's like, yeah, I put hot sauce in my bag, just like Hillary Clinton. And yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and it's like Tupac wasn't even around at the time when she said that. And it's just ridiculous. Pay attention to these people's records. And so she was questioned, oh, you wrote a, a Twitter entry in support of Jesse Small. And she's like, whoa, well, I don't know what you're talking about. she's stuttering like really with her and Cory Booker who he's another corrupt one out of Jersey they I guess were looking for some anti-lynching law and they're connecting that with Jesse Smollett because they know each other or something to that effect so I think it might be in relation to that in addition to even more so than the pay increase thing I think there's a lot of stuff going on. Some people even say that um, he's part of some whole pedophile ring. So, I mean, I don't know how true that is. But Booker? No, um, Jesse Smollett. Oh, oh. Well, so that's making the R. Kelly. But people were saying that he didn't want to give up his phone to the cops because he has incriminating evidence about him being with minors. I don't know how true that is. Oh, Lord have mercy. It's always <laughs> I'm not gonna, I, I don't know what saying that information on his phone that could incriminate him. And that is a, a, a possible thing with, you know, because some people were, were catching other things he said and they had to do with minors. I, I don't know. But the fact that a lot of people are being caught with minors, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. But I'm not going to say that's true because I don't have any evidence. But that was a theory that some people had in relation to this Jesse Smollett thing and why he didn't give up his phone and why he's not really telling anything. What they were saying was that he, you know, in terms of just simply lying to the police, like that's one thing that's like, you know, you get like a month or two for that. But the fact that he mailed himself a letter, put white powder in it, so now they're talking about the Patriot Act. And he said, that's a that's a federal offense. So he could be in prison for 30 years for that. So they're going into yeah, that territory. So the fact that he even went along with this, if it wasn't his idea or if he did craft this idea, he just got himself in a world of trouble just because either he wanted a salary increase or he's trying to conceal something. You should have asked for advice. <laughs> because I, I, I just don't think In the words be- of some cool people, or I should say something I usually say when I read stories like this, like you said, he could have taken better advice with his dumb ass. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't see the interview he did where you know, people were looking at the body language he's looking at. I didn't see any of that, so I can't comment. But the fact that this whole thing was crafted for whatever reason, you just, your, your family, that now they're tarnished. Like, you probably will never get a job in your craft ever again. It's just, you basically just threw your whole life away for this scenario. I don't understand what makes people want to do that. And apparently in 2007, he was stopped in his car and he lied about his identity. He said he was his brother. 
So this is not the first time. Yeah, I think there's <laughs> something else going on with him because um, he completely and I did see some of the interview. I didn't see it all because, again, I was not that invested. And when I found out that it was the Polar Vortex and he said, I'm like, no, 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 no. I know that you're lying. And then he had a show where he said he was the gay Tupac. That was a clip that really confirmed to me. Yeah, that was a clip that confirmed to me that he on his bullshit because he said, I fought back. I fought back. Like he was making it almost seem as if he he was more than anyone could ever think. He had to. It was like he was proving to them that he wouldn't allow them to win. It was a total performance it was a complete performance and when he was like i'm the gay tupac i was like nah you crazed you already you know tupac gonna be like what tupac gonna come and smack him tupac gonna come from cuba <laughs> <laughs> tupac gonna come from cuba. you better not bring you put my name in your mouth I'm a gay too. Okay, okay. You go, you go ahead with that, Justin Smollett. You go. <laughs> so now, R. Kelly has turned himself in. I don't think he going to prison. Uh, what do you, do you think he going to prison? Uh, there's a chance. I mean, it seems like he's in a lot of debt, and I don't think, as previous, he had the the luxury of kind of getting around it because he paid a lot of people off. But that's caught up with him, from what I've read. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying he won't be able to make bail or if it'll even go to trial, but I don't think he's going to get out of it as easy as he did before. I think the cards are really against him, and it seems like he's really going to get some form of justice in some way or another. I don't think he's just going to be able to go back to what he was doing. Like, the fact that he turned himself in, I think the shows that he had planned are going to be canceled um, Mm. because he had some shows booked, I believe, in Australia or New Zealand, and... Like, all of those shows, I'm sure, are going to definitely be canceled. And he ain't going to be able to just rise up from the top like he was doing before. Because previously, he would just come out with some statement before his show. You know, oh, I'm innocent. And thanks, y'all, for supporting me. Y'all my real ones and all of that. I don't think he can do that as easily as he was able to before. I think he's going to get it a bit harder. Which is a good thing. Yeah. I think the first step, the fact that he turned himself in is a point i think you have a point to that because of his action on that i just i think one of the things if his lawyer is really good and i don't think his lawyer is really good because his lawyer said double jeopardy and that's it's not double jeopardy because it's two different incidents if his lawyers are any good they're going to play up the statute of limitations thing because it was 2009 and 2010 so they could be like, well, can we at least cancel one of the charges because of that statute of limitations? And if they're able to do that, then they could you know, lessen the indictment. But I don't, I don't know. I feel like something in me is just like he's gonna get very minimal time if he gets to prison. I don't think he's gonna serve the full time. They're gonna do. Oh, he gets out for good behavior. Some I don't know. Something tells me he's not gonna serve the full time if he is convicted. Like he's gonna get out. And well, that I do believe as well because I mean the system is corrupt and there are ways you can pay off people. He knows people. You know, it's not unlikely that that's the scenario that he'll probably serve a little time and then he'll just kind of be a recluse, I guess. 
Yeah. Um, he's were, definitely not going to be able to come out and act like he didn't do nothing. Because they found, what, the three other videos or two other... <laughs> and he's saying their ages. He's like, oh, you're 14. This dude is a pedophile. I wish people would understand this. It's just, it's so disturbing. It is so disturbing. They said that he could be in prison for upwards of 70 years. I don't think so. I really don't think, I think at the most 10, I think they're going to find a way to lessen, lessen it. And I think he'll be in there at most five years. I don't know. If I'm wrong, I will acknowledge that, but I really don't see him being in there. Something going to happen where they flip it. I I just don't feel good about any of this. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the hope is that justice is served in some way. But the way the cards are set up in America, especially as it pertains to people like him, it could be an OJ situation. In the sense that there's some clause and he gets around it. But what stopped for him is his his name and his legacy. Like he doesn't really have that anymore. I mean, surely there are people who are still listening to him and there's still going to always be people to, you know, listen to the music. But in terms of him making something new, like a new album or a new, I mean, he can easily do another song. I mean, he had the song, I admit it, which, yeah, which was ridiculous. He did. He admitted. I mean, he told, he told on himself. (laughs) He told us. Mm-hmm. What, what do people have to believe him? He told on himself. What? I think at this, I think at this point, it's not even about what they believe; it's what they choose to continually, you know, how they see it afterwards. Like they don't care. It's not a big enough issue for them to stop listening to him or to stop connecting to a memory of a song. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. I think you're right, and I think uh, there's the issue of patriarchy where women, girls, non-men, people who identify as men, uh, trans folks, non-binary folks, um, they don't matter in a patriarchal society. And when you have young women, girls, 14-year-old girls are like, oh, they're fast. Oh, they knew what he was about. Oh, why would they choose to be in a video? And they don't understand the manipulation tactics of someone like an R. Kelly. You can't just for the most part, when you've been involved with him, be like, I'm just going to get out. And you have to plan your escape. Like, he has cameras everywhere. And you can't just be like, I'm leaving. They, <laughs> you can't just do that. Unless you just meet him and you're like, nah, I'm good and leave. But most people have not, uh, who were trapped in there, had, did not have the capacity or the ability to do that. And we have to understand that people also, they take on the personalities of their abusers. So they defend the abusers. We had to look at all of the nuances of that. Why didn't you just leave? Why didn't you, you got abused? Why didn't you just leave? It's Stockholm Syndrome. So there are many, many things to contend with. It's not easy when you're being abused, especially when you're a minor and you are looking for an adult to look up to and you think abuse is love. That's just, that happens far too often. And somebody who has status like R. Kelly, people are like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So we have to look at the amount of exploitation he contributed to. He he placed upon people. And to defend him, I think, 
it is a matter of celebrity worship, identity politics, uh, race and cultural nationalism and patriarchy. I think it is a combination of all of those things. And that goes with any of these toxic celebrities. It's just, it's ridiculous what has happened. The defense of R. Kelly since the 90s is atrocious. It's disgusting. Knowing full well what he's done. He, he hasn't denied any of it. Yeah. Ah, you want to dedicate this show to James Ingram? I found yes. out uh, close to a month later that he had moved on to the ancestors. And like Nancy Wilson, I, I found out through someone else. And uh, <laughs> It wasn't out. that long ago. I want to say it was probably two weeks ago. James Ingram? No, that was, uh, I think, the end of January. Was it the end of January? Okay. Yeah, I think January 26th or something like that. I was with my mother when she said, oh, wait, you, you haven't talked about that guy, that, that guy that sings to... And I was like, who are you talking about? Because there was a Christophe St. John, who is the actor, and I was like, he's not a singer. I don't know who you're talking about. And he's like, oh, James Ingram. I said, what? So I didn't know. And then we listened to some James Ingram. <laughs> But he was one of those guys, he had a very smooth voice, very just, it's it kind of rough and smooth at the same time. And, uh, yeah, James Ingram, that's, <laughs> Namaste, my brother. Of course, I think of PYT that he helped write. Yeah, I, I, I really... know you don't like it, but I'm going to get in the hair and say, he did help, yeah. But I do remember when he was on a Tavis Smiley show describing the recording process. And he was yeah, watching. it's very animated, and he, yeah. he had never seen anything like that. And it's <laughs> nice to hear that story. But no, I don't like that song. Sorry, James, you don't like this song. <laughs> it's all right, James. You got a, a lover over here. I love YT. <laughs> Both versions. I am I am a minority on that, I gotta say. I just I really don't like that song, I never did. <laughs> na, 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 na. I, like, I like your other music. <laughs> na, 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 na. Oh, take it there. Take it there. Yeah. I want to love you. And I want to before we get into the main subject of this show i want to honor the ancestors for giving us an opportunity to do a show like this and bring a different perspective and not just talk about prince and michael on a musical scale but how they've impacted society in other ways how they were affected by particular political situations and how they inspire people like us to do this work and to continue work in other fields even if we talk about them and how they've inspired us we don't just live our lives around us around them <laughs> it's important to note there have been people doing this kind of work like we are inspired from the other podcasters who have been putting in work for years for decades talking about prince and michael and they may focus on purely the music but we have to 
pay homage to them because they have been putting in the work. We can't say, oh, we're the first people to do this, or we're the premier people to do this, or we're the experts on it. We can't be experts, A, on people we didn't know uh, their whole lives. I, I personally have never met Prince of Michael. Uh, I know you have met one of the two, and you have worked with one of the two, but you didn't know him your whole life. So to say that you know somebody your whole life and you know everything about them makes no sense. And to say you're an expert in a person, you only know one side of them, it doesn't make any logical sense. And at the same time, not paying homage to the people who have done the work, who have known people in the circles, who have paid dues to get to where they are. That's, we're here and we're paying our dues and paying tribute. We're not here for anything self-serving. We're here for the love. If people support us, and appreciate what we do, we think that's great. We're not here to profit off of the work that the people we're doing the show about have done. It doesn't make any sense. It just frustrates me to see people who don't pay tribute to the people who did the work before them, who don't pay tribute to the nuances of the people they're making these podcasts about. I know I'm rambling right now, but I'm really upset <laughs> to see <laughs> who, who have come up in a world and, and not paying tribute to the people who came before them. And they're making a name for themselves and they're saying, yay, look at me, I did all this stuff, me, myself, and I. And it's like, no, no one gets to where they are alone. And we have to honor the people who did the work before us. And we have to honor the people we're doing the shows about in a way that honors their humanity. It's not just about us. It plays out in many, many ways that expands beyond us. And if we're going to really honor Prince and Michael, we need to do this in a way that's humane, that's not self-serving, that is really about maintaining the legacies not just about the music, but the work they did. I really want hey, I really want to have a collection of people who have been doing this work and look at how the community can expand and beyond just talking about the music and saying, this is what we're focused on. So some people can focus on the music, other people can focus on the social aspect, but how can there be a community of people with various interests and the whole purpose is to serve Prince and Michael's legacy, not them as people. Like we're not here to serve. Like we, like it makes no sense to to worship people, especially if they're not here. It's like, yeah, why no, worship people? Like, like focus on the legacy that they produce, honor the legacy in a way which is going to benefit the people, not just about their art, but pay attention to stuff going on around it. Not honoring people who have put in the work in the community for decades and not being part of the community and then stepping in and be like, oh yeah, no, no. Really, really pay attention to 
the actual purpose of the work you're trying to do. Connect with those folks who can give you wisdom about the work they've done in the past. Yeah. Because if it's really about community, we can't be self-serving about honoring Prince and Michael. That's what I wanted to say about that. And there's a lot of people doing it. So we got to really... You you can call people out in love. This is not about attacking anybody. But there's just an onslaught of people, particularly after... uh, I'm going to say Prince in particular. Michael, people have always been trying to uh, exploit Michael's legacy even when he was here. Because I think he didn't protect himself as much and so he was more open to being attacked on that level but prince he guarded his legacy with an iron gate and now that he's gone because the state of minnesota was dealing with the estate or whatever and he didn't have a will it's a lot easier to penetrate that iron gate because you can poke holes in it now and so people have been exploiting his legacy in ways which I don't think honor him. And a lot of people who have been doing the work, even when Prince was physically here, they're being left out of the picture. Honor people who have been doing this work, who have been putting in the work for years. If you are a newer person doing this work and honoring Prince, bring those people with you. If you have some kind of influence, if you have some kind of popularity, and you're like, hey, wow, I have this sudden popularity and I have this influence. Bring people with you and say, you know, y'all have been doing this work before me. I want to learn from you. You got to have some kind of humility to do this work. Yes, humility doesn't pay in the podcasting world or the quote entertainment world, but it does pay in the long run spiritually. It pays in the long run karmically. So we shouldn't step over people who have done the work before us and they did it in ways which were humble to get to where we are and to profit or where we are and to make ourselves into this brand like do we really think prince and michael would appreciate that we're creating ourselves into brands to honor them because it, their art was about love yes they made money off of it but it was their art they created it it was their quote intellectual property which Prince does talk about <laughs> in various songs. He says the words intellectual property. It's their, quote, intellectual property. If we're going to honor their intellectual property, if we're going to honor their legacy, if we're going to honor their humanity, we have to understand that things are reciprocal. We can't be like, I'm doing this by myself. I'm creating this brand. And then, yeah, you know, there are people who did it before me, but... You know, I'm doing it now. We, we can't we can't do that because that's not respectful to the people who did the work. And it's definitely not respectful to Prince and Michael. That is my rant on that. And I really want to honor the ancestors who acknowledge both Prince and Michael did as well. They honored the people who came before them. They honored the people who did the work, not only who came before them, but did the work to get them to be in the position they became. We got to really think about that. If we're going to honor Prince and Michael, we got to pay attention to the work they did. Honor those people who did the work. Because without that work, without the formation of those communities, you wouldn't be able to do what you did today. If Prince was still physically here, some people would not be able to make the content they make. 
That's absolutely I, true. Because Prince be was. You got to be humble in this work. It's not an easy task. Yeah, like we're not here to be like, oh, we're gonna do a podcast on Prince and Michael. Oh, they made great music. I can just put on my record player and listen to music. Like, I don't need to do a podcast. <laughs> like, come on. That that is my rant before we start. I don't know if you want to say anything. I've talked way too much. Go, Jesse. <laughs> I'm about to say I don't. You covering it all. I'm just here to be the eight man corner and adding yes to that. I feel there are a lot of people who are doing the thing right now and their motives seem to be strayed. I would say because Prince, if he was still around, I mean he was clear about three things: his music, his name. And his pictures and stuff like that, you know, his image and all of that. And I think a lot of people sometimes misguide themselves as of late because they're just trying to be these superhero celebrities, some ambassador even. I mean, I understand the the intent of wanting to honor Prince. I mean, we're doing that with this podcast, but we got to be real about the people that are a part of it. You know, like you said, honoring the ancestors. You know, we're all in this together. You can't really talk about Prince without mentioning how much he pressed for community organizing and just the people getting together to solve these problems. You can't just be on your own when you take the stance that it's just you. Mm-mm. Fell down. It's like new power generation. <laughs> generation means there's more than one. and just you. Yeah, there's just a lot of um, I think a lot of people are still suddenly dismayed when it comes to Prince because of his passing it's uh a lot of people just haven't really processed it the best way and I think and I say I'm not trying to act as if I know how people should grieve but I still think if you listen to him if you follow along and listen to his music and just see what he was clear about you can't really be confused about none of this stuff you know mm-hmm. just follow the growth in the music and and don't try to you can't play him that's the thing so you playing yourself if you think you're doing something cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but I, I do co-sign all of what you said. I just feel right now what we have to continually press for is just having a more nuanced conversation and just giving people the space to, to speak and just learning from what was done. You don't have to act, but you also have to put people, give people their due shine you know if you know that you have a platform that's a huge platform you can invite others to that platform so that they can build up you know you just distribute the wealth so to speak anyway <laughs> that's all i gotta say about it i don't want to yeah we've, we've exhausted that <laughs> yes remain humble in the work you do that's the main and remain humble in the work you do because if you're honoring Prince and Michael and they're at the point where they're the ancestors, they're looking. You gotta see, are they happy with the work we're doing? You know? And I'm sure in some cases they are, in some cases they are not. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that goes for James Safe Chuck and Wade Robson. I don't think Michael would be entirely too happy with the exploitation of his legacy. I don't think he would be happy that uh, after a long trial that this is coming back up when Chickley Wade Robson had every opportunity to talk about what happened to him. He was the first witness in the 2005 trial. 
he was the star witness, as Tom Mazzaro said. And he said, nope, nothing happened, nothing happened. Repeatedly, 1993, 2005, other spaces over the years, as a child and an adult, he has said nothing happened to him on that level. And then a few years later, he said, no, uh, all this stuff happened. And what do you think was the motivation for that, Jesse? Money. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, money. I mean, he did sue the estate when they told him that he couldn't be a part of the um, tour. So I feel like he just really compounded all of what happened to him. And he got to the point where he was like, okay, what is the biggest move I can make to really sell this thing? What can I, what can I do? And so here he visualizes his children being molested, which is an awful imagination to have. And he needs to do that just for it to trigger this supposed memory of him being touched. And I just, and I'm saying this with, much respect and sensitivity to actual victims, but he is clearly losing it. He needs to compensate for the lack of something. And I can just, it just seems so clear that he's not coming from this honestly because he wants the money. I think, you know, and then in this era too, I think, are just the conversation that a lot of people are having daily about just assault and what it means for victims to endure all of these sexual things to them you know it's people are not really taking the time to to really study it he knows that i mean that's why he made it it was three hours for a reason you know because you give a lot of you can just weigh it out exaggerate it and people don't really pick up on it which is why i think if tj is going to have this documentary and you tweeted something wonderfully to him about that let me see if i can find that and read it Yes, I, I came out of the woodwork and actually signed on Twitter. <laughs> yes, she did something. She <laughs> right, but I want to read what you said because I think it is very good and it it's something that needs, you know, a lot of MJ fans in particular need to have this kind of nuance because it's easy to just be like he was innocent, he was innocent, he's a liar, he's a liar. No, 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 those are true, but you have to know how to frame it so. I have it here. So you, this is you obviously saying all this. I'm going to read it. Greetings. I'm rarely on Twitter. However, I did want to come here to say that I support your efforts. And you wrote this to TJ because he's the one, you know, coming up with this documentary. He still has a GoFundMe. I have not checked the progress. I'll have to see the progress on that. But apparently they're really coming out with this documentary. So anyway, you said I'm rarely on Twitter. However, I did want to come here to say I support your efforts to encounter the documentary that I was not even aware was just physically released until a few hours ago. With that, I pray you hear me out here. I'm not sure of what your process of production is or how far you've come. However, I ask that you not appeal to emotion in your documentary because this is what the opposition is doing. It is important to be scientific and decisive in the creative in the creation of your documentary. Any appeal to emotion, if you are serious about documenting your uncle's innocence, is going to leave massive holes to anyone waiting to still find guilt where there is none. It may be boring to a crowd of people conditioned to respond to sensationalism. It is crucial, though, that you stick to and only to documentation, conversations, interviews with experts on all of the cases and any legal counsel. Focusing on how MJ was the greatest artist is going to take the viewer who may still have concerns or doubts away from the primary message. There is documented proof countering the claims of the opposition. Now is not the time to focus on his celebrity appeal. I am sure I am in the minority of my views and I'm okay with that. And you're not, by the way. This is 
exactly what I needed to say. I think a lot of people wanted to say it, and you just said it so nice. As a person who respects and supports your uncle as a human, I think it's crucial to focus only on the nuances of the cases. If it has to be a two-hour interview with Mesro, let it be so. The best way to document your uncle's innocence and vindicate his humanity in the process is to stick to the facts and not conjecture. I do not think it is wise to have a majority of the documentary to be anything, but this should not be a love letter to MJ. If we're really convinced of his innocence, the best thing one can do is let the documents, witness testimony, files, reports, etc., speak for themselves. The documentary should not be reactionary response to toxicity. People who love and respect your uncle are already open about it. Now is the time to let the evidence speak, and not those of us who are the fans, appreciators of the student and students. Doing this will sway the film into subjectivism, focusing on having Mesero. Afaridi Jones, jurors, investigators, and again, any experts on these cases is going to be, in my view, the best weapon of proof. Yeah! <laughs> Claps and applause. Just appeal, the appeal to emotion. I said all of that to say and read that because you addressed the appeal to emotion. And that's what I'm seeing a lot on Twitter is people are just emotionally invested in Michael and emotionally invested in his innocence, but they're not seeing that the facts speak for themselves. That's what people need to. That's what regular people who are just not even fans or passerbyers would want to see. Just what the evidence say. Oh, I saw the documentary and I just saw page after page, hiccup after hiccup, contradiction after contradiction. They don't want to see the dun, 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 dun. Michael Jackson, greatest of ever. Oh, look at him. He's so innocent. Look at his childhood. Oh, he's so sad. Oh, how could they? You know, like, you got to give people substance. And... Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I do hope um, in response, TJ. He goes in it with that intent. But I can easily still see it being turned into something more of a, oh, well, you know, because TJ himself admitted to being, I believe, or was it his brother? I don't want to get it wrong. Who was it that admitted to have sexual, like being Michael wrote him a letter? And, um, I think it was him, right? It was Taj. Yeah, it was what? Taj. Okay. okay. I was right. I just didn't know absolutely. Um, so if he spends that even, I mean, it's one thing, and I think that's a pretty known fact. He's been very vocal about that, but that would, in a sense, do disservice if it becomes more yeah. of a, I mean, you gotta, you have to just give people the facts. That's the best thing you can do because I as well did my investigation because when I became invested in Michael, when I really just loved his career and I started listening to his music and I wanted to know about his life and I knew about that. I was like, wait, oh, let me, see. what, what? They said he was a pedophile? No way. Like, I had to go through the FBI files and look at who people like Tom Snedden was and his attachment to the office. And I had to do my research and I studied for a good while. You know, I wasn't just blindly saying, I just, in my heart, I figured that he didn't do it, but I still wanted to research it because of course, I'm not going to just blindly accept anything, right? That's what we need to get back into that state of mind where we're just challenging and we're going over evidence and looking at what the available evidence suggests instead of just, oh, well, no, it couldn't be. There's no way. Like, that's just a blind, um, <laughs> it's just, it makes more sense to just do work. It takes more time, though, but it's necessary. I feel like Michael, ultimately, you know, the evidence speaks for itself. People are still going to have their doubts. But if you're going to release a counter documentary, 
And I'm not sure if I wonder if they're going to do the whole thing where they're going to make it just as long. Is it going to be three hours or are you going to give it two hours? Are you going to, you know, how, are, how is it going to be done? Um, but people are still going to make up their own mind. So mm-hmm. at least help them help their minds by giving them what's been documented. Like we have papers upon papers upon papers of evidence. We see how the story changed. You can just count the inconsistencies. And that's enough for someone to say, nah, he didn't do it. This was this is obviously an interest um, involving money, you know. Mm-hmm. So I have a comment and then a question for you. In terms of Taj's, the Michael's letter to Taj, I don't think that should be included because it will still leave people open to this idea that hmm, Michael's writing this letter because of guilt, even though he's warning his mother Didi, who's no longer physically here but the letter is a warning letter to watch out for signs which to me is a huge clue that this happened to michael again there is no document or proof i think he took that with him to his grave but the fact that he wrote this something happened to him and he wasn't talking about it yes he could talk about being beaten he could talk about all this other stuff but Something more insidious happened to that man. And it's really sad that so many times in our families, we conceal that because we want to keep the family legacy going in this way that doesn't make us look bad. And that's what happened with the Jacksons. And so many of us have defended that family name. It's okay that he beat those kids because they would have been worse off. They would have been in prison. They wouldn't have been famous. All I'm hoping that becomes corrected pretty soon because that flow of logic is a rabbit hole of stupidity. It's not even a flow of logic. It's nonsense to suggest that if Michael and his brothers and his sisters, the, the whole family, if Joe didn't beat them, they would be in a worse position. No, mm-hmm. that's a very backwards mentality. And I think it does an extreme disservice to just the reality of the situation, especially seeing that a lot of people are well versed in that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. And it just it just produces more toxicity. Then the child goes up either repeating, I mean, look at Randy. Mm-hmm. That didn't come from nowhere. I mean, not that's not to say all children are de- disposed to the same reactions of their parents, but I mean if you're abused and then you normalize that abuse and then you have Stockholm syndrome afterwards and all of a sudden, oh, well, no, man, he, you know, I'm glad I got my ass beaten. It's like, really? Why? You think that that was the only solution? You know, there are people who've never been hit in their lives and they came out just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very yeah. steered way of. Um, it is very behavior. disturbing the amount of lens people will go to defend what Joe Jackson did. Just that letter, the first time I wrote that, read that letter he wrote to Taj, something in me said that happened to Michael because it was pleading to, it was pleading to Dee Dee, you know, look for signs that he was abused, talk to your child. And the fact that Taj confided in Michael, I, I don't know, there, there's something, why would he not confide in Jermaine with that information? Did he confide? And that information with Jermaine and Jermaine concealed it. We don't know all the details, but the fact that Michael wrote this letter and it was produced, something tells me something happened to Michael. The question I want to ask, it's related to the statement that Dan Reed, who directed this 
so-called documentary, he said, if there's anything we've learned during this time in our history, it's that sexual abuse is complicated and survivors' voices needed to be listened to. It took great courage for these two men to tell their stories, and I have no question about their validity. I believe anyone who watches this film will see and feel the emotional toll on the men and their families and will appreciate the strength it takes to confront long-held secrets. So mm-hmm. My question to you is the R. Kelly comparisons that have come up in relation to Michael. We see that for years people have been talking about what R. Kelly has done to them, and they were not believed. There's a freaking video of R. Kelly with a 14-year-old, and people saying, that's not R. Kelly. Oh, she's fast. She asked for it. All this defense. But with Michael, people already are like, yeah, he did it. He's gay. He did. Oh, see, that I knew he was weird. So what do you think the differences are? I'm going to say it's definitely the element of anti-LGBTQ sentiment. And I think it's also the racial element because the people who have accused him at this point have all been of European descent in some capacity. So there's that element and they're yeah. all race. R. Kelly have been girls of African descent. I think that is a, a major difference between the two. But on your end, what do you see the comparisons at? Um, those two. <laughs> In addition to, I mean, because, yeah, I think there is an LGBTQ sentiment there. And also the fact that Michael, all of the accusers have been white. And I think also it's the guilt by association thing, since Michael worked with R. Kelly. And, you know, people just assume that, oh, abusers protect abusers. He did a song with him. And then there's that clip of Michael floating around. And see, R. Kelly has used Michael as a as a prop specifically <laughs> on various occasions he has oh and what, what? In, in the sense that he'll talk about the the clip where michael's dancing to the remix to ignition oh and really yeah various times like i can think of if three separate occasions where he's like oh yeah michael he me oh michael's cool and he'll just always go back to that clip and people see that and then of course again they think oh well who's to say and then i mean i remember R. Kelly even suggesting that he was being framed like Michael was when he first got the um, trial. So, you know, another black man, you know, being encountered. So I think people use the kill by association. Michael worked with R. Kelly for You Are Not Alone. And then he did R. Kelly wrote Cry and One More Chance. Those three songs. And a lot of people, especially newer fans who are not even invested or not knowledgeable, they just hear that and they see that and instantly they might just make the correlation or instantly might just be dubious about the relationship between the two of them. To Michael's defense, he went through it. You know, Michael, he took when the trial came about the second time, he was seriously about his business because he knew that this was life or death for him. And in a way, even though he ended up being victorious, it still killed him in a lot of ways. Because you think of the trial ending in 2006, and three years later, he's gone. Like, it's almost like something as huge as that, and just how seriously the media used it as a way to just make everyone be doubtful of his character or whatnot. I mean, what's going to happen now is when this documentary hits, if it hits, I still feel like there's going to be some weird clause that will not allow it to stay on HBO. I don't know why I feel that. That could be 
complete yeah. hope, wishful thinking, but I just don't think it'll happen <laughs> for whatever reason. Say I've that. Been... That's really funny you say that because <laughs> I just saw this thing that said the estate is suing HBO and parent company Time Warner for allegedly, uh-huh. allegedly breaching a non-disparagement clause in a contract from 1999. In the complaint filed in the Los Angeles Superior Court, this is from E! News, Optima okay. Productions and the two co-executors of the Jackson estate said, Michael Jackson is innocent. Oh, too bad none of his lawyers or anything said that when the trial was happening. <laughs> they didn't go hard for Michael then. They may have said, yeah, whatever, we defend him. But they didn't go hard for him as far as I know. Uh, period. In 2005, Michael Jackson was subjected to a trial where rules of evidence and law were applied before a neutral judge and jury and where both sides were heard. And he was exonerated by a sophisticated jury. Ten years after his passing, there are still those out to profit from his enormous worldwide success and take advantage of his eccentricities. Michael is an easy target because he is not here to defend himself and the law does not protect the deceased from defamation, no matter how extreme the lies are. According to the complaint, the Jackson estate seeks all damages proximately caused by HBO's reprehensible disparagement of Michael Jackson, which could exceed $100 million should HBO succeed in the damage it is intending to cause to the legacy of Michael Jackson. In response, HBO issued a statement to The Hollywood Reporter that reads, despite the desperate lengths taken to undermine the film, our plans remain unchanged. HBO forward with the airing of Leaving Neverland, the two-part documentary, on March 3rd and 4th. This will allow everyone the opportunity to assess the film and the claims in it for themselves. Huh. (laughs) Wow. Okay. That's a turnaround. I didn't expect that. (laughs) Well, okay, so before you, is there anything more to that? Uh, There's a little more, but I think that was the updated thing I read, so... When was that released? This was the 21st of February. Wow, okay, so I missed it by three days. Okay, so let me add this. I think that because they're choosing to release this and they're, again, playing in... HBO, isn't it on by Time Warner? Can you say that? Okay, yeah. So they're definitely playing this whole thing of, well... Let's give it a shot. Let people make up their own opinion. You know, like, is this, isn't this this era where we're supposed to, you know, give people the space to speak on something that happened to them? But I do think, so it's two, it's going to be two parts. That's coming out, like, literally next week, then. Mm-hmm. Third and fourth. Um, leaving it up there so people can make their own opinions is going to force a proper documentary. And I'm not suggesting they need a pitch it i'm not sure if tj is going to give it to its competitor which is netflix instead of hbo but and netflix definitely has a larger audience i mean that would be a smarter career productive move if they said okay you release it on hbo we're going to make a really great documentary and it's going to be on netflix and a counter reaction sort of the way i mean it was seems that it puts the burden on the estate to configure some sort of because there hasn't been a proper one. That's the thing. And it's not like they, and I know they don't want to keep spending time on it because on one end, it's like, why even do it again when people are just going to make up their own minds? So it's something to really, uh, I'll be interested to see. We're going to definitely have to do a po- podcast about the recent updates when that comes out because 
Do you plan on seeing it at all? I have no intentions to. But that's, oh, that's no, it. I don't watch TV, and I'm sure I'll yeah, hear you know, right. it. People be like, you like that guy? Did you watch the... You know, I, I'm going to... Mm, yeah, you're going to hear all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be uh, was it live Twitter feeds. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's... HBO's response is the same exact thing Lifetime did with the R. Kelly thing. Because R. Kelly was forging a lawsuit to Lifetime, being like, these are unfounded claims, da da da. And Lifetime said, come at us. We got bigger lawyers. <laughs> and now R. Kelly uh, turned himself in. So Michael Jackson obviously cannot do that. Uh, he also had a trial in which he was found not guilty. So one of the people who is part of this documentary was on the stand, which means perjury. I don't know what the statute of limitations in relation to this case is, but there has to be something where they said, okay, you actually lied. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Same thing, Jimmy Safechuck, James Safechuck, he had sworn testimony. He wasn't on the stand, but he gave a document, which was sworn testimony that Michael did nothing to him. So I, I, I'm not sure what the repercussions are for them lying under oath or sworn testimony. There's clearly no kind of repercussions for that because they're able to produce this documentary. What I want to know is how much they got to uh, do this documentary because this is a replacement for the money he didn't get for doing Cirque du Soleil. James Safechuck, I don't know what the intentions are. Are they financial? I don't know because he hasn't been doing interviews as far as I know. These two are the only ones who have come out when Michael was arrested, when they had a trial, when he was being watched by the FBI. You had the DA's office. You had uh, state-led organizations. You had family services watching him. You had all of these organizations watching him for many years, and they couldn't come up with anything. And we already know yeah. how the government loves to frame people and local governments and police. Like, if they wanted to frame Michael Jackson, they could have done it. Easy. Easy. But they found nothing. Page after page in the documents, they found nothing. So all of a sudden, almost 10 years down the line, Radar Online comes up with, oh, he had child porn and bestiality and, and, and you know, he had all these pictures. And, and a guy who was a Canadian photographer said, yo, hold up. When y'all said this was produced, this was actually taken in 2008. This was way after y'all, y'all did the search at Neverland. So I don't know what y'all talking about. I want an apology and I want to talk to the L.A. police because what's happening? So they had to apologize to him. The police said, or Santa Barbara police, like, yeah, uh, we haven't found any sort of thing when there was a search. And then Radar Online and other publications that went along with that story had to apologize. Mm-hmm. And people still believe it. Still to this day, are like, well, they found all this stuff with child porn or whatever. It's like, that's been disproven. Go a little bit more than the headlines. <laughs> All of this stuff has been disproven. Uh, you have two people who are 
Uh, the subjects of this documentary have given sworn testimony saying Michael did nothing. There was a whole trial in 2005 in which he was found not guilty, in which the prosecution side was found tampering with evidence, where the jury said that the prosecution witnesses were unreliable. But I, I don't know what else people could want. The guy is not here anymore. Yeah, the guy's not here anymore. And the fact that they're doing it on his 10th year anniversary, on the 10th year anniversary of his passing, um, it, just, it just shows that they really see Michael as a disposable product. Like, even in his passing, as huge, you know, Michael's name is just worth so much money to them. And that's the interest of the crowd and the, the culture. And you make it about it being about the victim. See, again, they're clearly trying to frame this in a sense of, oh, well, you know, we got to listen. And then the way, yeah, you're right. But they have shown themselves to be liars. And they're the only two, to your point, like you said. And I think based off of the numbers, you know, Michael spent time with kids and children thousands throughout his career and his life. The fact that only two are coming forward, that should give you a flag right there that just indicates that okay these two people and then when you look at their chart and you look at their history you see oh well they've been exploitive in the past so you can clearly see their appeal to emotion and their new wave is not really a new wave but something old that they just remodified tweaked a little bit made it a little convenient for people especially in the culture right now with r kelly and you know the the music industry the fact that michael is the one seems to be this when the music industry in itself you know, there's so, I mean, we hear a lot about Hollywood, but woo, yeah. you go to the music industry and you look, I mean, and this has always been this way since yeah. the 40s, 30s. You look at how black artists in particular were exploited and then you think of female artists on top of that. Uh, whoo, I don't, I, I want to call a name, but I ain't going to call no name. <laughs> I remember when there was Tower Records and record stores was still a thing. I think it may have been J&R Music World. I saw this giant picture of Britney Spears. And she was wearing a schoolgirl outfit. And she mm-hmm. was wearing yeah. like her bare midriff. And what was she, 15? Or? She was probably 15, 14. I mean, oh my goodness, Britney Spears, they used her. In particular, like you, that video is even disgusting. To I watch. Uh, and the video is even worse. You, it's it's worse. It's all of what you could think of as being problematic. She's dressed in like this, like a baby, and it's just, ugh, it's really sick. So I mean, the fact that those conversations are not being had, but we're gonna use Michael. We're gonna take Michael. He, because he was weird. He was eccentric. He's eccentric. I mean, people can, and yeah, he was. To a degree, he was eccentric, but then on another level, he was playing around with the media because he knew you guys were looking, so he gave you something to look at. He would plant the evidence on himself. I mean, in a way, that sort of turned on him, but it still kind of says he was aware that he was a huge target because his life and just the way he evolved as an artist was much different from anybody. I mean, no one really has a story like Michael Jackson when it comes to, you know, the exploitation of his childhood and his labor from his father not even talking about the industry but he gets that from his father first and then it just goes on and on and people see him and they find ways to just take advantage of him i mean the whole story though if you really were to look at it objectively you see safe chuck you see robson 
you see, I mean, and the director was very clever in his response. I mean, the way he wrote it is basically saying, well, you know, this is the time. And, he, and he's right. Yeah, we listen. But we also know that the evidence is against them. Those victims, Safechuck and Robson, there's more evidence saying that they're lying and exploiters than suggesting that they have any merit to truth. Mm-hmm. As regards to Michael Jackson, it could have been that they were sexually assaulted and molested, but doesn't mean it was by Michael Jackson. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you can use your experience with him and you twist it and you make it weird because, oh, and it, like, no. And so the audience, this is when the burden of the audience comes into play. And it's like, well, if you're going to watch the documentary and you know nothing about Michael Jackson, then you should probably not just settle on that. You should probably see, well, what's the contrast to this? If they're saying he's doing this, because, well, I always just can see how they're going to mess it up. Like, I, I can just see the whole, you know, slowing down the image, making it about his image. And just, I mean, they're very graphic, too. They're using all of the right descriptions that would make people like, oh, no, how could he do that? Oh, he's so weird. But the truth runs miles and what is it? The the, lies run sprints and the truth runs very Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was looking for a call. I know you Thank you. (laughs) I have I have a question for you. Do you think if he did not hold hands with Gavin Arvizo and he said there's nothing more loving than a <laughs> child. Do you think mm-hmm. any of that would have happened? No, I don't think so. That's funny you mentioned that because those were the two, like when Martin Bushit <laughs> focused on those two moments. Well, the first, the other one was the 60 minute uh, interview. I don't but think he, Michael, see the problem. But, but Michael, you're a 44 year old man. Set <laughs> up. But Michael, but Michael. Yeah, see, the fact is, and I always say this, and this is, oh, this is so, um, when people hear this, they get, they feel some kind of way, but it's, it needs to be said. Michael should have not been talking during his trial at all to the press, not to 60 Minutes, not to have those, those questions should have been vetted before they asked him. He should have already had. But he already seemed hurt. I mean, I I, I kind of understand the situation because he was already in pain. You can see, I mean, they said he had to stop the interview several times because he was in pain, just talking about it. But the fact that he grilled him on that question and he got that kind of answer, which is the wrong thing to say, even if it's true. At that point, it's not even about the truth. It's just like you don't say that because that's enough ammunition. And then when. Again, Martin Bashir had that handhold with Michael. Then people are already like, huh, that's weird. Why would he hold hands? You know, and even if it's, but in retrospect, it's really nothing sexual about it. I mean, people put that on it. That's the projection. But then when Michael says on the 60 Minutes, oh, nothing's more loving to do it, then of course it makes people a bit more dubious. They're just more like, hmm. Because if you take any other scenario, if he didn't say that and if we had no video of him doing that, people would just still probably be like, ah, yeah, he's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's different. Not that it, they would say it's bad. They would just say, yeah, he's, he's, he's a weirdo. And that's what, a lot of, that's what a lot of people even end up believing. Like, oh, he's a weirdo. Instead of ex- understanding. I mean, for me, 
with Michael, and this is the same way in Prince in a sense, in terms of their artistry and just the life that they lived. Michael, when you follow his career, especially, I mean, he was a child, okay? He grew up before the world's eyes. We saw him grow and evolve into all of where he was. Now, to think, just imagine that as a child. Everyone is looking at you and they're seeing everything about, they see you when you're in puberty, they see when your heart's broke, they see when you're you're in a pissy mood. They see when you say things weird. They see all of it at all times. And then it locks you up in a cage, so to speak. So he creates his own world and kind of just tries to escape it. I think he tried to heal, but he didn't always have the proper ways of doing that. So there was a lot that was involved that made him a product of his experiences. But if anyone is interested in Michael to get that full story, they got to do the work. I'm not saying you have to listen to every album, but you definitely need to see how it was, how affected he was about his childhood. He basically, he was traumatized and he made that clear every time when Michael talked about it, like he was so open about it too. Like, yeah, I I was, we were beaten. I didn't get a chance to do this. I didn't, you know, I, and basically he didn't really heal from it. So he was very vocal about that. So when you look at that, just from a psychological perspective, it makes sense. I'm not excusing why he hung out with children because I think, of course, he could have handled it better. But I can see why he did, mm-hmm. right? Because this is compen, you know, like he says in the song "Childhood," he's compensating for the childhood he never had. That's how much it affected him. His brothers and his sisters—they were infected in other ways. We only have to talk about Jermaine and Randy and Janet and all of them. Really, their whole family have had to just create this name and dynasty for themselves to save the scar from judgment but in doing so i mean in michael's case again he was the world's most famous human being (laughs) you know seriously i mean just if you're looking at the numbers and if you're looking at how people react to him like fainting this is not a conspiracy you know like michael obviously had a light Mm -hmm. he obviously carried something and because of that you know, whether you want to call it a gift or the light, whatever it is, because of that, it put him in very vulnerable scenarios that enabled more snakes, more predators. In fact, in a way, he wanted to be bigger and bigger, but he didn't realize he wasn't going to ever sit at the table with none of them people. They right. didn't care about him, especially when he bought the catalog. They were like, Psh, who the blanket are you? Hell no. You know, he was trying to make moves. It's like, no, you can't do that. You're supposed to make an album. You need to make this album, blah, blah, blah. He he kind of got it kind of later. He realized, like, wow, okay. They want to kill me for this. Mm-hmm. Like, yep, they do. They do not care about you. And he realized that. He was realizing, like, mid-90s, all right, they don't really care about us. Okay, how can I navigate this? And I'm going on a tangent. But essentially, yes, I do. I think if he didn't make those statements... Because those are the only two statements to his name are, when I say statement, I should say the statement of it's okay to sleep with children regardless. And then the uh, 60 Minutes interview, those two things alone, for those that didn't see it and see it for the first time and not understand the context and the nuance, they're going to just be weird out about it because it is weird. Now, weird, I'm always going to say this when I, anytime I make that whole assessment, I always say, Weird doesn't mean bad. Weird doesn't mean good either. Weird mm-hmm. just means, oh, wow, okay. You know, when you see something that's just odd, it's not common. You wouldn't expect it. It's weird. You know, 
Now, when you understand it, then it's like, oh, okay. I can look at that now and say, okay, he still still never said it, but I can kind of see why it kind of came about. Like, you got to be willing to be a detective in this. You have to do the work. You can't just swallow it and say, oh, that's, you can't be, because it's ignorant to assume just because he said those things. That doesn't equate guilt. It doesn't mean because he said it that that makes him a pedophile or that makes him, I mean, again, it doesn't say, just look at the evidence. Going back to what you tweeted to uh, Taj, I mean, if we're going to talk about this objectively, we just need to look at the evidence and not believe E! News and all these other people talking for Michael and talking for the situation, planning evidence and all of that. Like, we got to be, we, we owe ourselves the work to be a student and to, to really research, and we will be in his favor. And what's good is that at least you, throughout all of these years, you know, I mean, at the time, you didn't even know you told me that Michael was on trial with the whole thing. Kind of I wasn't watching TV at some point. So right, I wasn't watching, you serious about not watching TV thing? Like, no <laughs> TV. So, um, but the fact that even with that, the length of time, you were still able to say, well, let me, you know, I'm not going, just because we love Michael and because we see and, you know, me having to look at Michael's life. I love Michael. I, 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 he's a hero to me. He's a teacher. I've gained so much insight from him. And even in spite of that, I still acknowledge that he was a human with flaws like we all are. And right. I'm just going through the thing where I'm, I'm better understanding them. And I kind of have a sense of I tend to look at, you know, the why. And of course, there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot that I speculate that could be true. I have no sound proof that it is. But when you look at his life as a whole and you see how he inspired people and you you look at just the work in itself it's the same for prince you know no matter what flaws and this is for anyone who any human being that has had their ups and downs with whatever it is you know you can see i'm not speaking of people who are like r kelly though that's different but someone like aretha franklin or sam cook marvin gay whitney houston you know people that has had these lives under extreme scrutiny just see how their legacy like what what they what their mission was we don't have to just accept the media haze of guilt because something's odd like it it, it behooves us to really do the work so in closing of my rant of all of that i do think again the truth prevails but people are always going to make up their own mind based on what the available evidence suggests, which makes it the burden of Taj and whoever else, the Michael estate, maybe they're going to sue. I don't know how far they're going to go with that, but they just need to stick to the facts. People, for the most part, don't buy it, though, from what it seems. I mean, of, of course, I don't know what the numbers are going to be. I'm sure there's going to be huge amounts of boycotting and protests. Uh, but I think the ratings are going to be pretty high based yeah. on the subject matter. People are curious what they're going to say. People are going to watch it so they can critique it. People are mm-hmm. going to watch it because they believe them. People mm-hmm. are going to watch it because they don't like Michael. So I still think it's going to have a lot of ratings, which is exactly why HBO decided to pick it up, because yeah. they saw the ratings jump of R. Kelly, and they're mm-hmm. expecting the same kind of ratings jump because, as you mentioned, they're in competition with Netflix. Yep. The defense of the documentary is based on their position of how much they think they're going to profit. Completely. (laughs) 
I mean, and this is what people need to remember. So when people are making the strides, oh, boycott HBO. I mean, truth be told, if Safe Chuck and Wade or whoever the director tried to appeal to Netflix, they would probably be in the same boat. Like, oh, okay, well, let's see. How could right. we, uh, because they just want to make a profit. They see the numbers. Michael's huge. You know, the conversation around him is still always something to say. You know, there's always been this interest in Michael. And so, of course, they're going to make a profit. They're going to make, a lot of people going to watch it for those very reasons you just mentioned. And I guess we'll just have to see what the counter, again, what's going to be the rebuttal. Because this is huge. It's not, I, I don't think, you know, because in the 2000s when Michael was around, you know, and he did his own kind of response. And there was some sort of response from Michael's estate. It was still nothing. I mean, it was just so tiring. Like, they really milked that that whole thing. They milked it to the to the T. I mean, it was so draining. Every day they were talking about it. Every day it was something to just distract the war from in Iraq. <laughs> so they lose. yeah exactly it was literally just a substitution of of that so I would think that the estate is planning something or even if it's just so, so much as you know just like I wish ooh, I just thought of a, a wild idea of them providing a link to just like a packet of the file cases for the fans to like for anyone to download yes. and like hope like if you're interested in reading it, do it. That would be a great like rebuttal because it would. Ooh. <laughs> that should be Michael Jackson website slash Sony. That should be the first thing that comes up is the first page of that court document. Yeah. And then it, and be like that because you know how people set things up according to time and. And you set it up. That's the first thing. Don't talk about his music. Be like, look, time is of the essence. There's this so-called documentary out. Here's the proof that he's innocent. Have uh, links to the FBI files, the court doc, all of that. Just be like, this is what we're going to have on our page right now. If you don't like it. Yeah. That is a Because then that, that's, that's a huge signaling. That's basically like, hey, we're tired of the nonsense. Let the people look at it for themselves. That's that'll be enough for it to die down dramatically. They have to take bold moves like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I if they really are saying they're about his legacy and his name, then really show it. Then. No, I wonder if they did something like that, but they put it on, you know, way somewhere you can't find it. I wonder. Yeah. I, don't... <laughs> I want to ask you, given that Michael did not trust media why do you think he trusted martin bashir enough because of his interview with diana spencer he doesn't trust media but for some reason he said diana okay you did an interview with her okay you don't think that he squirmed his way to do the interview with her (laughs) i mean (laughs) i do think the reason why michael decided you talking about when Martin Bashir interviewed Princess Diana? Yeah. Yeah, now, oof, that tells me sort of kind of like with Yuri Geller. He was so naive right. sometimes when it came to, like, his decision-making because as much as he respected Princess Diana, that doesn't mean just by association that, oh, he must be a cool guy because she's strict. And, like, I think 
he was very much sold on the idea that people were ultimately good at the heart. But coming this far in his career, I still find it to be surprising. So there were a lot of other. I mean, Jermaine, from what I read, Jermaine introduced him to Martin Bashit in some way. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I know. So I kind of feel like Michael just had he didn't he could have interrogated it further. And he he just trusted that it would be because, I mean, in the way he was ahead of the time, you know, he's one of the biggest people no one really knows much about him this is kind of like reality show and it's reality tv at its finest and so he's using it to kind of propel himself but also kind of explain some of his situation i just think the the people who he had around him and and i can always say this like michael was around a lot of shady people or people who really didn't have his best interest some did but i think Around this time, he should have had that other guy, and it was, he's, he was from the UK too. He was he made a little documentary of trying to, I forget his name. He's still around too, but oh yes, Thoreau, Louis Thoreau. Thoreau, yeah, Louis. I wish he did it because he was actually, he was really good. I think he the way he asked questions, he didn't have this exploitive narrative like Martin Bashir clearly wanted to use this as an exploitive like narrative and then if you look at a lot of his old interviews he's the same way with people he he wants to entrap people and put them on the spot and make it weird because he knows that people looking at it will catch on to it and make their own horror assumptions so um yeah i wish he had thorough because i saw his documentary and i thought it was quite hilarious even though you know interviewing joe jackson and uh, magic, <laughs> magic. <laughs> that was crazy yeah, well, oh, we beat him all the way to the bank. The interesting thing is Louis Thoreau had a documentary about pedophiles. Mm-hmm. So there were, where was it? It was a, a place where pedophiles were held. I think it was in Florida, either that or the UK. I can't remember specifically. But I found that to be really interesting given this whole subject matter. The last question I want to ask you is looking at Michael's responses to the accusation. So you had 1993, which was the first major accusation where he got strip searched. And then you had the later accusations after the Bashir interview. I felt like there was a major difference. I feel like the first one, it was shock. The second one, it was kind of resignation that people will never understand what I'm about, who I am, and that I don't mean to harm people. Michael, he didn't have a lot of, he didn't have a, a lot of means to uh, communicate because he grew up in a bubble. And so he didn't really know how to respond to so saying, oh, sharing a bed with your kid, that's a, that, no. <laughs> because he grew up in Motown and he always had to have canned responses and because he grew up in a bubble he didn't respond to situations like that under stress in the same way a lot of us would and that he put himself in situations that were very harmful to himself uh, mentally. He was caught off guard with the 1993 one because he did not expect uh, a family that he hung out with to accuse him of that and then the same thing, but he's like, oh, I've been here before. Okay, what what do y'all want? So what do you think of the 
two responses he gave to the accusation. Being media trained the way he was, he he didn't always navigate with it the best. And it was a sensitive topic. He, he wanted to make sure he responded in a way that proved that he was telling the truth, but also not appear to be completely blindsided. Like he knew that he had access to things that a lot of people didn't have access to. And he definitely wanted to remind people that he was being framed. Um, I think ultimately he, he just wanted people to see that it was a lie. The responses were just, I mean, because he was curved by it. I think a lot of it, you just said it right there about it, the way he was raised. You know, he, he grew up in this bubble. He was fighting to the end the best way he knew how, even though it was not always to his advantage and how he explained it. I'm not going to watch the documentary. I will read different centerpieces about it. I'm sure Joe Vogel, he's been very vocal, too. And I love a lot of what he has to say about to some of the situations Michael's been in. So I'm sure he's going to write a piece-by-piece piece breakdown. <laughs> and I'm going to read that. Yeah, I guess just overall, like we've been saying on the podcast today, I mean, there's a lot of emotion and there's just so many ways this is connected. And, I mean, we owe ourselves the openness of a nuanced conversation about it all. And I hope we've done that so far in this podcast. I feel like we have. I think we've got a nice amount of points made and introspection so thank you i will end with this this is actually from joe vogel before i end with joe vogel i will say if you can find any research on wade robson's blog entries some which he's taken out he's actually written on several measures before he got caught out and took them out that nothing happened to him and he said i'm here for the people it happened to he said things on that level and people like, wait a minute, you went on this whole time saying all this stuff happened to you. And we see in your blog that you're not saying any of this happened to you. So he took all of these things out, but I'm sure you can find a screenshot of them. If mm-hmm. you were able to find them, please do further research on it. We're talking about it. We've done the research, so you don't have to believe us. If you don't, do your own research, make informed decisions. But Joe Vogel said, I've made less from everything I've written on MJ than Wade Robson made from one item he auctioned off through Julian's. Not to mention the exorbitant amounts of money he sought through a book deal in MJ Circle and his civil lawsuit. Make informed decisions, good people. Yes, make informed decisions, good people. I say. <laughs> I say. Thank you, ancestors, for leading us to do reading, studying, and making informed decisions on these situations and these cases. Thank you so much for listening and hearing us rant. That's what we do sometimes. (laughs) But we hope you enjoyed and get something positive out of it. And once again, make informed decisions. You have anything to say, Jesse, before we close out? Make informed decisions. (laughs) I love that. Please, please, love y'all. Thank you so much. Have a good day.